Well, good morning, everyone. And uh, Hollywood cashes in on the weird factor almost every single Christmas season. Uh, You just saw a clip of the movie Elf, and basically uh, father and son get reunited after the father has not seen the son uh, for his entire life. And then he shows up, and he's a six-foot-five elf, you know? Weird, just very weird. Now, out of all of the holidays that transpire throughout the calendar, uh, Christmas, I think more than any other, brings about the weird factor. Um, I looked up the word weird uh, this week, and here are some synonyms for it. The first is strange, odd, and bizarre. That sounds like some of your family dinners, right, Uh, that will be coming up. Um, But it's weird. And I was thinking about it. The reality is, is that the Christmas story, the very first Christmas story, uh, was all of these things. Just think about it. A virgin birth. Weird. A baby born in a barn to be the savior of the world. Weird. Angels singing to shepherds. Weird. It's a weird story. But there is one more synonym that I found in the midst of all of this that I think will speak to how it's weird for us. And the word was abnormal or not normal, which means weird. For some of you, this particular Christmas will not feel normal. It's going to feel weird. Maybe it's because for some of you, you are bringing into your family a brand new baby. And everyone's so excited and there's so much joy there. And uh, you're going to experience that for the first time at Christmas. And you might wake up to a little voice that's crying on Christmas morning. And that's never happened in your house before. And it might be the best Christmas that you ever had. Or maybe you're married this Christmas, and last year you were single. Or maybe there's someone in your family who's in the military, and they're coming back, and you're so excited, and you're counting the days to see them come and to be a part of your family Christmas celebration. So some of you are sitting there this morning, and you're like really looking forward to Christmas. But maybe others of you, it's going to be a weird Christmas or an abnormal or a not normal Christmas because this year you lost a loved one in your family. And this year you'll sit around a Christmas dinner table and there'll be a seat that is empty. This week in my small group, and that's why I want to encourage all of you, get plugged into a small group because when you're going through some tough stuff, folks, you don't want to do that on your own. And we're in our small group and we're getting ready to pray and a lady shares with us about one of her best friends who lost his dad seven months ago. And this Thanksgiving, his mom had invited them to come to celebrate because of the loss and so they drove to her house and they're there together and they're celebrating They have a great time together. They go to bed. They wake up the next morning 
And his mom's not up, and he goes and he checks on her, and she's non-responsive. They transport her to the hospital, and she dies. And you could hear a pin drop, just like what you just heard right there. Because everybody in our small group's like, ah, oh, man. Not leading up to Christmas. Not, not Christmas. I have a friend of mine uh, who's been uh, diagnosed with acoustic neuroma. Basically, it's a non-cancerous tumor that uh, is in his brain. It's the size of an egg, though. And so this week, uh, he'll go to the University of Michigan to have it removed. Very high-risk kind of surgery. And when he told me about this a few weeks ago, I thought, oh, man, not with Christmas coming up. I mean, he's going to have to deal with all the worry and all the anxiety and the risk and the surgery and his family. Not at Christmas. You know, I have a feeling that if I ask people in this place to raise their hand because of a weirdness that's going to happen at Christmas time, that this isn't going to be a, a normal Christmas, because you're experiencing some kind of difficulty that you're going through right now, you might mask it really well, but you know deep inside that it's huge. Maybe it's the death of a loved one. Maybe you've gone through a divorce. Maybe you've gone through a separation. Maybe it's job-related. Maybe you're a widow, whatever. I have a feeling we'd have a, a huge sea of hands that would be raised. And the more I thought about it, the more I thought about facing a tough holiday season for what some of you experience, the story of Jesus' earthly father, Joseph, came to mind because that first Christmas for him was a very weird, abnormal, not normal Christmas for him. You see, Joseph was going down a road with his holiday plans and everything's going well. And then all of a sudden a wrench gets thrown into it all. And Joseph's like, whoa. You see, what you need to know about Joseph is that all he ever wanted to do his entire life was to honor God. Scripture tells us that the way he honored God was by using his hands. Some of you know what that's like. You're, you work with your hands every single day. He was a skilled carpenter. That's what he did. He honored God that way. In Matthew uh, 1.18, it says that he wanted to honor God in his relationship, too, with his soon-to-be wife, Mary. And this is what it says. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph. And if you want to circle a word there, kind of the key word is the word pledged. Because it's a word that we don't really talk about too much in our culture anymore. We think about pledge. We think of that lemon smell that you spray to dust things down, right? And it smells the house either up if you don't like it or it makes it smell well if you do it. But the word pledge in, in Joseph culture wasn't that you lived together. It wasn't that you were even engaged. But the word pledged actually meant that in the sight of the culture, you were already married. You're already hitched. The marriage had already been arranged between the two families. And so the, 
decision on whether it was going to be a goat or a sheep or whatever, or a piece of land, all of that stuff has already taken place. They're pledged to each other. They're going to be married. So as Joseph and Mary make this commitment, they also then make the commitment that they are going to be sexually pure through their courtship and leading up to the wedding day because they're already married. They're going to honor that. Now, Joseph is not a talk-the-talk guy. He's kind of a walk-the-walk guy. He loves God. He wants first place. He wants God to be first place in every area of his life. He wants God to be first place in how he lives out his life. And what's cool about Joseph is that he's a guy who keeps his head in all situations. In fact, that's kind of what I want you to get as the big idea this morning, what Joseph teaches us. And what I want to challenge you is this, to keep your head in all things. That's what Joseph did. That's why I'm challenging you this Christmas season, to keep your head in all things. In fact, let's say that out loud together. Keep your head in all things. So Joseph is kind of this level-headed guy, but then all of a sudden this wrench comes flying out of nowhere, out of the closet, out of the darkness, hits him straight between the eyes, and we find it in the rest of verse 18. Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, before they had sex as husband and wife, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Mary comes up to Joseph and she says, point blank, I'm pregnant. And as she's trying to finish her thoughts, all of a sudden, you see Joseph, you know, he's kind of like, his knees are getting weak, they're, they're shaking, his stomach's turning. Nothing that he's planned out for his future now is going to be what he expected. And he knows it. And this little sentence of information that just kind of flies out of Mary's lips has changed everything. Joseph has been honoring God as best as he knows how. He thought he was marrying a woman who was committed to like that same value. But apparently, the joke's on Joseph. Because she's pregnant. And now Mary's kind of mumbling through her words about the fact that somehow this is a God thing and God has done this. And Joseph's like, right. You ever known of anyone who was a virgin giving birth? Don't raise your hand because we will call you a liar in this place, okay? It doesn't happen. And so his head's spinning and he's thinking about his life and he's thinking, you know what, the plan that I just had, it's not going to unfold the way that I thought. And now all of a sudden it comes to a feeling level. And he's hurt and he's betrayed and he's confused. And all of this is like swirling in his spirit. Now let's take a time out right there, and I want to ask you two questions this morning. And here's the first question I want you to uh, ponder. And it's this, 
What is your knee-jerk reaction when a wrench out of nowhere hits you in the forehead? When you lose your job, you never saw it coming, but you do. When the boss comes, hey, pack up your stuff. Today's your last day. And you're like, are you kidding me? Like, we're leading up to Christmas here. A medical report comes back. It knocks the wind out of your sails. You get betrayed by your spouse. You get betrayed by a child. You get betrayed by a friend. And when the bad news comes your way, you want to scream or lash out. You want revenge. You want someone to pay. You want to call a flagrant foul on someone, kick them out of your life, out of the game. You want to see heaven and earth understand that what you're going through, you don't deserve it. Especially now, especially leading up to Christmas. There's a little verse that's very unknown in the Bible that has just spoke to me so much over the past couple of years. It's in 2 Timothy 4, verse 5. And just to give you a setting, uh, Paul is the guy who wrote over half of the New Testament, and he has an apprentice. He has a mentoree, someone who's going to follow him. And in the midst of him talking to him about leadership, this is what he says about being a leader. He says, but you, Timothy, you keep your head in all situations. You keep your head in all things. Whatever comes your way, whatever wrench starts flying out of the darkness, you keep your head in every situation. Now back to Joseph. He's reeling from the fact that the news of Mary's pregnancy has hit. And yet somehow Joseph manages to kind of keep his head in this situation. He doesn't lash out at Mary. He doesn't uh, go out and have an affair to kind of even things up. He doesn't go ahead and get a hundred people and talk about what he did or what she did to him and how bad of a person she is. You know what he does? Look at verse 19. It says, Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. That's why we know it's a lot deeper thing than just the fact that they were living together or they were engaged or, hey, this is a good idea, but we might not stay together. Because what's the, the word is divorce. So it must have already been thought that he was already married. Right? And this is the thing. You know, Mary could have been stoned for this. She could have lost her life. That's what the law stated. And so Joseph puts her needs above his own. He doesn't want to publicly disgrace her. He doesn't want to bring shame on her name. Joseph keeps his head. And then he asks God, he says, God, can you help me with my pain? Because I'm hurting right now. Like, I'm really hurting. Maybe some of you are sitting there right now, and you're hurting. But he decides I'm not going to go through the temptation of trying to be bitter or angry or vengeful. Rather, he looks at a way to protect Mary from public disgrace. 
You know, I was thinking about it as I've been reading this story. I have huge, enormous respect for Joseph. I mean, when wrenches come out of closets or out of the darkness and they hit me in my head, folks, you know what the reality is? I want to be patient. I want to be kind. I'm not all the time, but that's really what I want to be. Don't you? When bad news comes your way, I don't want to be a blaming, bitter bozo who's reactionary to everything and flipping people off and cussing people out and throwing stuff and shaking fists and cursing God. I don't want to be that guy. I want to be able to keep my head in all things. I want to be able to keep my faith. I want to be able to say, God, here's my hand. I'm placing it in your hand, and I'm choosing to trust you, even though right now I don't understand it all. And when the nightmare unfolds, I'm believing, God, that you're going to see me through this. The very next verse in the Christmas story Joseph is actually rewarded. You know why he's rewarded? Because he keeps his head. He keeps his faith. He keeps a heart of kindness, even though he, sh- he could have acted in a very different way. And listen to what God tells him. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. Just imagine God saying that to you right now, because the reality is he's telling some of you right now. Don't be afraid. I'll come back to that. Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. So Joseph kind of gets two marching orders. The first one is go ahead with the marriage. Like go ahead And marry, marry. And the second one is that when the baby comes, I want you to name the baby Jesus. I don't want you to name him Joe Jr., okay? I don't want you to name him Joseph II. I don't want you to name him Justin. I don't want you to name him Jason. I want you to name him Jesus because it's a very, very special name. If you read further in the Christmas story, what you find is that Joseph obeys both of those commands and he does exactly what God instructed him to do. But this is what I keep thinking, is that he must have still had something within him that was thinking that he's suspicious of his wife. Because can you imagine that you're standing in front of all of your friends and family and here comes down your wife in an aisle and she has a baby bump. And maybe everybody thinks, oh, it's Joseph, but you're the only one, folks, in the entire crowd that knows it's not my baby. And I'm sure he was thinking when that day came, really, God? Could it really be God? Is it possible? Probably, maybe. 
He keeps his head in all things. He keeps his emotions in check. He keeps on obeying God. He stays with Mary. And when the baby comes, he names the baby Jesus. Now let me call another time out here. And I want to ask you a second question. And it's this. It'll come up on the side screens. When is it hard for you to hear from God? When is it hard? When is it difficult for you to hear from God? These things aren't in the notes, but you might want to write them down. Might not. Whatever you decide. But I was thinking about it, and if we asked that question of everybody here today, we would have several responses. Maybe as many as there are people of what happens and how hard is it to hear from God? What, what is our response? But I thought there are a couple things that probably affect all of us. The first one is this. When your pace of life is out of control. When your pace of life is out of control. When you have the accelerator all the way full board, when it's metal to the pedal, or pedal to the metal, I guess is what that is. And you're going through at like this breakneck pace. And your schedule's full. And it's just like, yep, yep, yep. And then i got to do this. And you got your kids involved in 500 different activities. And you're just like trying to make it. It's really hard to hear from God. When you're going at a Mach 2 speed, when the pace in your life is just spiraling out of balance. And you are going so fast. It's really hard to hear from God. And you might be sitting there, well, Chris, how do I hear from God? Well, Friday I'm at Ball State Library. I'm studying for this particular teaching. And I pull myself away for five minutes and I just stop. And I just listen. And maybe for some of you, that's the commitment that you could make this Christmas. You could say five minutes a day, I'm just going to pull away. I'm going to say, God, I'm going to stop. I'm going to listen. If you say something great, if you don't, I'll just set my alarm. And when five minutes is over, and you know what I experienced after those five minutes? Peace. (laughs) I wasn't so anxious about everything that was going on. I could just be at peace. Another thing that Uh, happens, or another way that I think it's very difficult for us to hear from God, is when you're reeling from a fresh disappointment. When When you've just had a fresh disappointment, it's really hard to hear from God. I mean, when the job offer that you thought was going to be extended to you isn't, when you have a miscarriage, when the white blood cell count comes back and it's not normal, it's very difficult to hear from God when you've just had a disappointment. I mean, when you receive bad news, your heart starts to race, your imagination goes into overdrive, and all of a sudden you come up with the worst-case scenarios of what's going to take place. You drive along, and you see in uh, people's yards or on billboards these signs that say, Peace on Earth, but you don't have any peace. Every time you turn on the radio, you hear joy to the world, but... You're fresh out of joy. When your head is filled with worry, it's very tough to keep your head in all things. 
When you're dealing with a fresh disappointment, it's very hard to discipline yourself to step away into a quiet place to get alone with God and simply say, hey, God, do you have a word for me? I'm struggling here. Do you have a word for me? I need your perspective right now because I'm close to losing. And you know, friends, the Christ followers that I respect the most, that really challenge me, people that I want to be like, are the people who, when they learn this fresh disappointment that takes place, they carve out time immediately to spend with God because they realize that the closest moment to the disappointment as possible is where they're going to receive the greatest amount of refuge and strength from God. And why not have it from the very get-go? And I bet, I bet some of you have done this before. The disappointment comes and what happens is you try to get all of the things taken care of on your own and you put energy and time and effort and money and everything and it spirals and it gets worse and worse and worse and why is that because rather than turning to the one who knows you best and loves you most you turn to yourself I have some friends of mine who uh, for five years they tried to get pregnant They were going to have a child. That's what they wanted. And the wife actually went through two different surgeries. And finally, she was diagnosed with endometriosis, and it caused her to be infertile. And they're kind of left now with this loss of not being able to be pregnant. And the disappointment was just like a knife that got kind of stabbed into both of their hearts like, We're not going to have any kids. And at this particular time in their life, God wasn't really on the radar. So the disappointment, you see, when God isn't there to help you through difficult circumstances, the disappointment actually gets greater and greater and greater. And so they're like, what what are we going to do? And finally, the wife said, well, I'm going to give church a try. And she came one Sunday here. And she connected with God, and she went back to her husband and said, I think we should do this together, and they did, and they did it consistently. That's why making a habit of church regularly each Sunday is so important. But they did it for three months, and after three months, they found a baby. And they adopted the baby, and they go to the hospital, and they're waiting for the birth, and they're so excited, and they're filled with joy, and everything's wonderful. And then a wrench gets thrown right in the middle of their forehead. The baby's premature, three pounds, seven ounces, has a heart murmur, cannot suck, swallow, and breathe at the same time, so, she's, uh, so the baby's not able to eat on his own. And all of a sudden, the bleakest moment of their marriage up until that point hits within the midst of that and they felt totally alone. And I don't know if any of you have ever been there before, if you know friends who've ever been in the NICU and they're with a baby, it's probably the worst place in a hospital. Because not everyone can come in and those that come in, yeah, you know, there's all this sterile process and you can't do much and you're disconnected and this is what happened. As this couple was in the NICU, they would cry out to God, help our baby, help our baby. 
And for 24 days, they're in the NICU, not getting much sleep at all, in different corners. And they would pray to God. And they said, you know, it's weird, Chris, but in the NICU, we didn't feel alone. Because God was in the NICU. And then what was cool was that sometimes you need God with skin on. And so some people came and reached out to them from this church and let them know that you can get through this. And they saw light at the end of the tunnel. And they kept their head in this situation, which helped their faith, which helped them to take their hands and to place them into God's hands and to take their baby's hands and to place it into God's I've shared with you before about the impact that my Uncle Phil had on my life. Uh, He was a very tough guy. Uh, He wasn't close to anyone. He went through a divorce. He kind of like hated the world for a very long period of time. But uh, for some reason, uh, he took a liking to me. But he was a loner, and he's the biggest redneck I've ever known in my life. I mean, he just was not nice. To very many people. But for some strange reason, he loved me and I loved him. And growing up as a kid, uh, I spent a lot of time at his house. And we would have uh, microwave cheese hot dogs. Doesn't that sound healthy? Like, how do you get cheese into a hot dog? You know what I mean? It's nasty. But uh, I thought that was great. And we'd have A&W root beer together and everything was wonderful. And he taught me how to fish. And he taught me how to uh, golf and... uh, He taught me how to drive a stick shift. He invested tons of money for me to take golf lessons, which I still am horrible, you know. Um, But uh, he spent time and investment in my life. And uh, even as an adult, helped me with college, a lot of investment. And so five years ago, when I got the call from my dad that my uncle had died, it was like, I was shocked. I'm stunned. It's like this wrench out of nowhere comes and hits me straight in the forehead. And since I was the executor of his estate, I couldn't grieve very much. I had to immediately get on a plane, and I flew to Florida. And I'll never forget driving in the car. And I just felt so alone. And it was there that I just sensed this whisper, Matthew 28, 20, which says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And um, I'm driving and I finally get to to the airport and I get on the plane and I'm sitting in a seat and I'm tearing up a little bit. And I just sense this whisper, trust me, trust me. And you know what? I immediately went to the very first scripture verse I ever memorized. John 14, 1, trust in God and trust also in me. You know, some people will say, ah, memorizing scripture, man, that's, that's old school or 
you shouldn't do that. It's a waste of time. I'm just saying, for me on that day, it was better than any amount of gold or wealth I could have got. I finally, uh, we land in Orlando, and Hebrews 13.5 comes. I will never leave you. I will never abandon you. You're not alone in this thing, Chris. And you won't be alone as you have to make these decisions regarding your uncle. And even though it was a very difficult week and the biggest death in my life that I've experienced, by the end of the week, it was just tough because I had multiple meetings with attorneys. You know, any of you that have gone through this, you know it goes very quickly. And so attorneys and life insurance agents and the nursing home and the hospital and friends and neighbors and their mourning, and it's all like spiraling out of control for me. But I get back on the airplane and I'm flying back to Indiana, and I'll tell you folks, I get on that plane and I have a peace. A peace that surpasses understanding. Philippians 4, 7 says this, And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. God was guarding me. He had my back. And even though it was kind of a fragile peace because we had to go back and do the celebration of life and that kind of thing later on, it kept me from losing my faith. It kept me from losing my hope. It kept me from losing my head. Folks, today for some of you, your worlds are maybe spinning out of control on Christmas and you're thinking, man, this is going to be a weird Christmas. This is going to be a tough Christmas for our family. And I want to urge you, I want to beg you, I'm not beyond begging, I want to beg you that you not just keep on going at the same frantic pace thinking that things are going to get better, that you, but that you actually allot yourself some time to pull away from the chaos that you're experiencing and that you spend some alone time with God. Five minutes where you just pull back and you say, God, I'm just going to listen to you. I want to urge you to find a quiet place, just like my friends did in the NICU, just like I did on the airplane. Find a quiet place where you can be alone with God, where you can say, God, hey, I need a little help down here. I'm almost losing my head. I don't want to. I'm almost going to lose my bearings. I don't want to. God, could you just send me a little bit of help? And many of us who have experienced kind of these emergency meetings with God start these meetings with Psalm 62.8, which says, Pour out your heart to God, for He is a refuge for you. In fact, for some of you, you know what? I put those scriptures in for a reason that you would take them home and you would memorize them. You pour out your heart to God for He is a refuge for you. Pour out your heart. Describe everything, every worry, every fear. Tell Him everything. Cry out to Him just like my friends did in the NICU. And after you poured out your heart to God, then you stop and listen quietly. That's why prayer is not just talking to God, but it's actually waiting and stopping so that you might sense a prompting from Him. 
And if you listen quietly enough, he often says to you exactly what he said to Joseph in Matthew chapter 1, verse 20. Do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. You know, 365 times in the Bible, the phrase, fear not, is used. We make terrible decisions when we're afraid. I make terrible decisions when I make them out of fear. Some authors think, uh, or some scholars think that the reason why there were 365 times that the phrase fear not is mentioned is because we need it once a day. Fear not. Keep your head in all things. Folks, you listen to God's whispers when he says, I am with you. I'm before you. I'm behind you. I'm beside you. I'm in you. We will get through this nightmare together. You know, it's been my experience, and I think the experience of every committed Christ follower that I know, that when you're having these emergency meetings with God, and things are swirling all around, but you get quiet, and you get alone with God, and you pour your heart out to Him, and the Holy Spirit actually starts to speak to you, it will help you to keep your head. Now back to Joseph one more time. As you know, Joseph kept his head and he kept his faith. He stayed with Mary. He helped raise Jesus during his formative years. As far as we know from Scripture, he was a fantastic father. And he was a key character in the greatest story that has ever been told. But folks, Joseph would have missed all of that if he wouldn't have kept his head, if he would have lashed out at Mary, if he would have cursed God, if he would have lashed out at everybody else around him, he would have never been able to be a part of the story. If he would have caved into fear and bitterness and vengeance seeking, he would have lost being one of the central characters in the greatest redemptive story that this his, the, the history of the world has ever known. Aren't you glad he kept his head? Folks, today, whatever it is, whatever it is that has your heart all tied up this Christmas, whatever it is that's going to make this Christmas seem weird or not normal for you and your family, it's quite possible that as you keep your head and keep your faith and keep your hand in God's hand, That this very trial, how awful that it might be, and some of you are going through some tough stuff, it just might prove God to be stronger than you would have ever thought Him to be. Or prove that God is more loving than you could ever imagine Him to be. Or to prove that He's more faithful than you could ever give Him credit for being from your past. It is very possible that this trial that you're facing could strengthen your faith enough so that God could use you in even a greater way of the redemptive story of God than you would have ever thought you would have been allowed to participate in. And you know why? Because I've seen him do it in my life. I've seen him do it 
in other people's lives. And he can do it in your life this Christmas. Now, as I close uh, today, I, I wanted to kind of give you a gift. We're entering into Christmas, sing our first Christmas song. We'll sing more in the weeks to come. And so I wanted to kind of give you a gift. Actually, I'm going to give you three gifts. Now, as many of you know, I'm a recovering tightwad, so these are not expensive gifts, okay? So don't think you're leaving here, you know, with an Oprah car or something like that, because it's not going to happen, okay? But I think these gifts actually could be as valuable as any gift that you could get this Christmas. The first is, I'm going to give you a few minutes of time and we're going to turn the lights off so we can kind of have a moment here where you can just be with God just you and him one minute, that's it and maybe you'll just listen, maybe you'll make a commitment to him for this Christmas Maybe you'll make a commitment about keeping your head this Christmas. I'm going to give you a minute to just say some things to God that maybe you haven't said in a while. And then after that, I'm going to kind of lead us in a guided prayer because some of you are exploring this whole Christian thing and you're like, I don't even know what to say or how I would say something. So I'm going to kind of lead you in a prayer. And then Derek and the band's going to lead us in a fantastic song here to close everything up about how God never lets go of you. Never. So first, I just want to give you a moment with God. You can pour your heart out to him. That's what he says. Pour your heart out to me. Where do you need help? What is it about this Christmas that you want it to be different? Do you want it to continue to go at a frenetic pace? Or do you want something different this Christmas? Where you might experience his peace that surpasses understanding. So let me give you a minute right now. And then I'll pray and we'll close with this song. So bow your heads. Just kind of close your eyes and just have a moment. God, some of us need some help keeping our pace a little saner 
God, would you give us the strength and the courage to say no to some stuff that we know is just going to make this season even more crazier? Help us to schedule out some time each day in solitude with you. Maybe for some of us, it'll just be silence that we look for. Or we go out into nature or maybe we read, reread the Christmas story. Maybe we listen to some Christmas hymns. And God, for those who are carrying heavy burdens today, remind them that you are with them and you're for them and you'll never leave them or forsake them. And God, with people who are heading into Christmas, maybe with incredible amounts of joy because they they have a new baby or they've got a new job or whatever the circumstance will be, help us to rally around these folks and to share in their joy. God, help us to keep our heads this Christmas. And remind us that the way that we can do this best is by looking to the one who knows us best and who loves us most and who will never let go of us. I pray this in Jesus' name. If you would, I'd invite you to stand. And uh, our prayer team, I'm going to invite them up. They'll be here to pray with you. And like today, if today's your day where you're like, I need God in my life. I want him to be the leader of my life. You're ready to make that commitment today. I'll be over here to my left and would love to pray with you, give you a Bible, kind of help you along the path. But if today's the day where you're like, you know what? This is the day. This is my day. I need Jesus in my life. I'll be there. And if you need prayer for anything else, there'll be people up here that would love to pray for you. So let's uh, go ahead and we'll sing this song together.
wish I could see a light that is coming for the heart that holds on. There will be an end to these troubles, but until that day comes, still I will praise you, still I will praise you. Singing, oh no, you never let go through the through the storm. Oh no, never let go. so thankful that you never let go, God. You, you have us through everything. We just want to give you praise and thanks. So in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Know that you're loved in this place.